I want to... I, I have a, a bit of a confession at the start. Um, I, was, uh, I worked very closely with Rhodey, uh, Faith Action, and I was telling her the other day, uh, well, uh, she had probably about a month back, that I had about three different talks I'd worked on in quite quick succession, and every time I sat down to do it, I approached it in a completely different way. And I thought, that's right, that's three different ways, I've got it covered. And when I got sat down to start working with this, I found a new pack of felt-tip pens. And I thought, I shall use those felt-tip pens. Consequently, I can't read anything I've written. <laughs> so, um, let's put up that, uh, that slide, if you could. Um, and and the, other, the other thing is, one of the things about having the meeting around this way is there's a, there is a last gasp worship opportunity to get your thoughts together before you speak the other way around. This is not it. So I'm pretty sure I'll know what I'm going to say by the end of the meeting. Um, unfortunately, I would have said it by then. So uh, let me just take you through these things. I, I volunteered um, to, to speak a little while back, thinking that I had something that would come together. And uh, we'll see if it does. Um, right. So, these are a couple of disparate thoughts I've been thinking. It's nice to get inside my head. Um, so, obviously, we've been talking about the broad place, entering the land, uh, taking the land. It's not about easy life. Well, we have that song, the song about surrender, that feels like a, a song for the moment. You know, sometimes there's a song that feels to be the one that God's anointing with us. And that song, I Surrender, seems to be really cool and really, really key to uh, what God's doing with us. Um, worship still feels really important, abandoned, that's still very much on my heart, and uh, I want to uh, kind of work out more of what God's had for us on that. Maturity, I think that there's a call for us to, to become more spiritual mature, uh, to move up. Um, Paul talks about when he was a child, he acted like a child, thought like a child, spoke like a child, when he became a man, he put away childish ways. I think there is something for us about maturing. And that's, uh, that's key. Um, Aiken's sin. I love a bit of Aiken's sin. And every, every time people talk about Jericho, isn't it wonderful? Then I think about Aiken's sin the whole time. And all the people got killed um, in Jericho. So we're going to look at that today because I figure let's, you know, best to face your fears head on. Deal with the dodgy bits in the Bible that you don't like and then we move on. We'll do a nice and safari another week. That kind of thing. So, um, circumcision. Talk about things we want to move on from. Um, we got, to, got together, the uh, Singleton family, a little while back, and we were looking through. Um, <laughs> it's not good to pause, though, is it? Um, we were looking through uh, the whole thing about entering the land. And uh, anyway, I, um, we like to share around, and, and uh, I said, uh, uh, someone perked up, up and said, right, I want to talk on something... I want to do a share about something in the Bible. And I said, what's that? And they said, I want to do about the boy who cried wolf. And I said, that's not in the Bible, Nathan. Um, uh, so anyway, we've been looking, uh, as a family, we've been looking a little bit about the entering into the land. And, and uh, it's quite interesting to explain to a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, or a 5-year-old circumcision. Um, it's one of those words that you have to really dive into so they can get all the other stuff behind it. And uh, that was a painful time <laughs> for my family. Uh, so we're going to have a look at that. We're gonna, again, we're going to gauge with the tough stuff. We're going to look at circumcision today as well. Um, right, good. Here's another thing. We're going to put up a video clip for you now.
And uh, I hope that I'll be able to work out how this fits. But I know it's for us that we should be looking at some... So we're going to look at this clip. I know how you like a video clip. Um, I tell you what, before we put that up, while you're shuffling that, let me just, for, for those who are visiting, let me just uh, give you context. We felt over the past little while that God's been bringing uh, some things to us over the past number of years. We talked about going through a narrow place as a church, a place of confinement, a place where things were not easy. And, um, you know, many of us experienced that time of difficulty, but a time still where God was drawing us on and moving us on. And then, um, as we started to get ready for this uh, time we had away as a church, we called, we called it the clear sound. There was a word that came about us, us sounding a clear sound, a sound which would, um, would be a clear sound in terms of the sound of our lives would make a difference to those around us, but also that it would be a prophetic call over the nation, over our communities. So we went away, we had a great time. There was a time of um, leading up to that. We had ramp-up periods of time where we were looking particularly at worship and, and going up with our worship and, and coming into the presence of God more, uh, more swiftly, more deeply. We had an excellent time away. So the context of what I'm talking about today is really looking at this moving from the narrow place to the broad place, looking at the transitions that have to take place. You see, when you're in a narrow place or when you're in the wilderness, there are certain ways you need to live, Okay. But when you come into the land of milk and honey, when you come into the promised land, it's not easy, but it is different. And if you use the same kind of warfare, the same kind of approach um, that you use in a narrow place, then you're not going to occupy the land. I think it was one, I forget who was shared, talked about warfare, the changes of warfare, that, that there's a time for guerrilla warfare, of sneaking and creeping and, and, and harrowing the enemy and making problems. But there's a time when you have to start occupying the land, and it, it means there's different warfare, different ways of approach. And that's how we are as a church. As I've been going around the country um, and, and talking to different people, I've been asking, what, what's God doing in your church? What's happening? And some people say, yes, we're seeing more healing. We're seeing a raise of expectation. We're affecting our community. I met this chap the other day who's from um, somewhere in South London. And I said, you know, we've got this stuff. We feel we've got more's happening. God's doing more. We've got a raise of expectation. And, um, and we want to see things happen. And I said, how is it with you? He said, yeah, we've got a real strong desire. We've not got expectation. <laughs> We'd want God to do stuff. We're just not yet in a place of expecting it. Now, I don't think he's lacking in faith. I think it's just a reality that probably for that church at this period of time, there's a time of being in a wilderness period. There's a time of narrow place. They've not yet come to the broad place. Their warfare, their approach needs to be relevant to that period, but we have to be relevant to the period we're in. So therefore, part of my focus is about what, what are the things we can pick up, particularly from the children of Israel, moving from the wilderness into the promised land. What are the things that happened? There, and what, how can we pick up on those? Right. Good. Anyway, enough of me for the moment. Let us watch a film which may or may not be relevant. I'm not cutting. I'm just asking... Let me tell you something, all right? We have been sitting around here for over an hour, and when I look around, all I see are people shooting the bull and drinking coffee. How can I help you? Oh, he was first. No, you go ahead. I think I want to hear this. Me too. You're right. Excuse me? You're right? How those words taste coming out of your mouth? Like vinegar. Who is that, SJ? Big Mike. 
He goes to high school here. What is he wearing? It's below freezing. Do you have any place to stay tonight? Don't you dare lie to me. Was this a bad idea? That's the big deal. It's just for one night. It is just for one night, right, Leanne? Tell me just one thing I should know about you. I don't like to be called Big Mike. Leanne, this is another one of your charities. We need to find out more about his past. He's been enrolled in seven different institutions. His grade point average begins with zero. He needs to do better in school. I'd love to work with him. This is mine? Yes, sir. Never had one before. Want a room to yourself? A bed. Michael's grades have improved enough that he can go out for spring football. How's he doing? I haven't quite gotten the hang of it yet. It's all really nice what you're doing, but don't be surprised if one day you wake up and he gone. I heard you got your new mama now. She's fine, too. Michael was here. Tell him to sleep with one eye open. You threaten my son. You threaten me. Sandra Bullock. We're in the middle of practice, Leanne. You can thank me later. His team is your family, Michael. You have to protect him. Tony here is your quarterback. You protect his blind side. When you look at him, you think of me. Yes, ma'am. SJ, you're going to want to get this. Mike's the best left tackle I've seen in years. You're changing that boy's life. No, he's changing my life. The Blind Side. I said you could thank me later. It's later, Bert. Good. Grant, thank you. So, um, I don't know if you could hear that properly. It's kind of a bit garbled when we're in here. But basically, we've got a story about uh, uh, an underprivileged lad um, who somehow um, ends up at a posh um, or a fairly selective white school um, in, uh, in the southern part of America and uh, this mother sees him, realises he's essentially homeless and she takes him into the home um, and end up, uh, ends up adopting him. And I was watching this film and I, it kind of affected me and I want to kind of come back uh, a little bit to that when we move on later. But it's interesting, she's, uh, she's a real interesting character. She has some interesting traits. She is compassion but, compassionate but not nice. I think sometimes we are more focused on being nice than we are being compassionate. You know, when she says, don't you lie to me, you realize she meant that. And I think there's something about cutting through stuff. And uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of great quotes um, in, that, in that film. Interesting, as I was, I was, I was trying to find a, a clip to use with you today, I discovered the whole story. It's a true story. And it's actually, and the family's Christian. It doesn't come out in the, it really very clear in the story. But the Christian family, and they've written uh, some books about raising children for generosity. And I think that's an interesting thing. And we'll, I'm sure we'll hear more of that as time goes on. Right, okay, good. Right. So, as the uh, children of Israel enter into the Promised Land, they have to cross the Jordan. We see another miracle takes place. Uh, the waters of the Jordan are stopped. Uh, the, the Levites are told to march into the middle of it with the Ark of the Covenant. They take the Ark of the Covenant, the waters stop. It's an amazing thing, okay? But interestingly, in, uh, I'm going to whip through a whole bunch of Bible verses. You can come with me if you want. Uh, I'm not going to ask the guys necessarily to keep up here 
because it's going to be tough because um, I need to move at speed. But it's interesting because Joshua then tells the children of Israel, he gets uh, 12 uh, men, one from each tribe, and they, make, they take a stone and they, they make a monument. And it's interesting what he says um, to them at this point. It's in Joshua 4, verse 6. Uh, okay, I'll tell you what, let me go back to verse 4. Right, so Joshua called them together, 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you in the future. When your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It's interesting, he's, he's uh, describing and telling them to do something, to leave a landmark, so that when they're wandering around and seeing these great bunch of stones, where there's no other stones, so kids will say to their parents, what's that? What's that? What's that there? He's setting up a physical reminder to force them to testify to what God has done. I think it's interesting there about setting up monuments Set up monuments of testimony of what God's done. Is that not something that God has been taking us to do? To be taking things and establishing them and to pause and say, look what God's done. And of course, what's it when we say testimony? It's saying, God, do it again. So it's important, first thing, it's important about going into land. It's important about recognizing what has God done, testifying to that. And actually, interesting, leaving a mark so that other people, notably our children, ask us, what has God done? Why is that there? Okay, I'm not in favour of doing a bunch of religious stuff, stuff that we always do. Okay, but I do know that sometimes there's things we do. Uh, we leave some little trails so that people can ask us why we do these things. Okay, sometimes some of you may may say thank you before you eat. That's fine. Okay, I think if it becomes a ritualistic thing, I think there's a problem. Okay, but there are different things we may do just to say thank you. When when uh, my when Heidi's family come together, we always take that opportunity to, because at one time we're all together, there's a lot of, you know, folk milling around. I think there's 17 of us when we come together. And, they're, you know, they're from a different part of the country, okay? Not necessarily civilizes us in London. So getting them to sit down still is difficult. So the one time we know they're still is just the pause before they launch into the food. So we say, and it's often a time of praying together and coming together and giving thanks and that kind of thing. It's key to, key to have those monuments and that's why we have the time. Every Sunday we have opportunity to hear testimony. So that's a key thing. Compare that monument to Absalom's monument in Samuel 2 verse 18. During his lifetime, Absalom had taken a pillar and erected it in the king's valley as a monument to himself. For he thought, I have no son to carry on the memory of my name. He named the pillar after himself, and it's called Absalom's monument to this day. Interesting. The monument they built by the Jordan was reflecting what God has done. The monument that Absalom built was to himself. How often do we hear people? It's, I think it's, there's, a, there's a sadness that comes into me when you hear about people, their life work is to do this thing, to build this building or to, to pass this piece of legislation or to do this different thing because they're, they're kind of trying to have eternal life without having eternal life. They're wanting their name to live on even when their body doesn't. They're wanting their fame to continue even when it doesn't. And I think that's a scary thing, something to remember me by. It's a feeble 
grasp of eternity, not the testimony of what God has done. And I think the world will have us make some kind of monuments to ourselves. That, that's the outworking, not a monument to God, and that's key. Okay. The bit you've all been waiting for, let's have a look at the circumcision. Right. You know, there's, uh, there's a different version. If I, I went on, is it Bible Hub, Neil? There's one you Google, you Google and it throws up a whole bunch of stuff. Different versions of the Bible are far too descriptive on this. So, there's a lot of wincing goes on. Right, okay. Uh, Joshua 5, verse 7 and 8 is what I want to have a look at. So, what happened is that um, the Israelites um, had, um, had all been circumcised. That was part of what they did. Even in Egypt, they were circumcised. But over the time they're in the wilderness of 40 years, they kind of fell out of practice. And commentators aren't really clear on why that was. They're, some would say it's kind of they just neglected it. Some would say they feel a bit distant from God. Some would say actually coming into uh, in the, uh, crossing the Jordan meant they were going to be faced with tribes. They wanted that sense of difference. But anyway, whatever the reason, uh, there was a sense that God said, right, You've fallen behind on this, let's get it sorted. There wasn't a big condemnation. I don't think, you know, there was a big issue with it. It was just, a, it was just something different, right? It was something for the new, the new period, the new land, new place in that sense. Um, and I think the fact of wanting to stand out different from the heathens around them is fairly key. So what does, uh, and just, just because I, I love an origin of a word, can you see there, what did, they, what did they perform the circumcision with? Anyone see there? Flint knives. Flint knives, right? Probably because it would have been cleaner in some ways than, uh, than iron. Um, of course, that key word for people who are tight-fisted, skin flint. Mm. Work that one through and don't use it so liberally. Right, there you go. See, I can see a lot of puzzled faces. I'll, I'll put some notes in the bulletin on that one. <laughs> Okay, so what does, it, what does it signify? Well, cutting off from the old life. And interesting what he says here. Uh, so, so he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones jo- uh, Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Interesting. Cutting off, but that whole reproach, that whole disapproval, cut off, changed, okay? There's something very powerful here about circumcision, about being cut off, made changed, made different. Okay, let's have a look. Now, circumcision is never just a physical thing, thank goodness. Even in the Old Testament. So, Deuteronomy 10, verse 16, says, Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Okay? Hold that in mind. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6 says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you will love him in all your heart and with all your soul and live. Interesting, there's an act, but there's a change. There's a change, there's a thing about flexibility as well, not being stuck in your ways, that kind of thing. Jeremiah 4, verse 4. Interesting, this is the bit before. Uh, So verse 3 says this, This is what the Lord says to the men of Judah and to Jerusalem. Break up your unplowed ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourself to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts. In the context of change, 
breaking up the unplowed ground. There's a new ground, but it's a thing about breaking up as well. So there's a need to change. It could be hard work. There's a need to change, need to break up that ground. So there's a whole thing about change coming on here. Then that's jump to the New Testament, Romans 2, verse 28. Um, a man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely, outwardly and phys- uh, merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Okay? It's a circumcision of heart, circumcision by the Spirit. Not something I can do by thinking strongly. It's something that the Spirit of God has to do and to set me apart, cut me off from the past, cut me off from the reproach of my sin and my past. It's something that has to be done by the Spirit, some, some change that has to take place. And then, and this is what I start to think, this feels familiar to me, and it kind of feels a bit like baptism. Let's look at Colossians 2, verse 11. In him you are also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your, through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So it's part of our change, part of our moving from one way of being to another, a change taking place. So key thing. So we see the monument testifying to God, circumcision about set apart, ready for what God's doing. And here's another interesting thing. The third thing that I want to pick up happens here is straight after the point in Joshua where they're circumcised, uh, things happen the next day. Uh, verse 11, verse, uh, sorry, Joshua, verse, uh, Joshua 5, verse 11. The day after Passover, that very day they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. Interesting. Monument, circumcision, manner stops. All a period of change, okay? All, um, and the manner, you know, the manner was not something that was wrong, but it was for the narrow place, for the wilderness. It was not for the new place, okay? Again, lots of different commentary on this, lots of different points, but there is something that's noteworthy. And it obviously changed. It changes the whole way the economy works, the whole way they interact, um, and I think it's about maturing. Remember one of my points here about spiritual maturing. They now need to cultivate the land. I mean, first of all, they can go and steal it off the others, but then they have to cultivate. Okay, they have to cultivate, they have to change, they have to put work in, they have to change. And I think that's part of what our calling is, is to move from a time where we're just like babies, <laughs> give me the milk, to a place where we're actually having to cultivate our maturity, where we have to cultivate our spiritual food, and I think that's a challenge upon us. What does that mean now? What does it mean? Um, I think I've said before, we are, we are superb in hospitality. We are superb in serving. We're great in those things. Generosity, okay? Those are absolutely, absolutely defining for us. Absolutely important. But to be honest with you, you can, you can be saved one day and do those things the next day. Okay? So how, what should our spiritual maturity look like? How do we start to cult, cultivate the soil in those things? What, what are the things we need to do? And th- those are the questions. Part of my problem is I don't have all the answers to this. I know you normally think I have all the answers, but I don't. I'm, only the people laughing are the people not asleep at this point. Right, come on. Stir the person next to you. 
At some point, Daniel was probably likely to say something which is controversial. Okay. Changes afoot. That's the thing, I, as I look to this whole thing about manner, changes afoot. Have you seen, here's a question to you guys, have you seen change in this period? Has something, who can say that yeah, they've seen some change? They, they feel that something's different to how we were a year ago. Yeah? Anyone say that? Okay. And this, and this is one of those things, those questions you realize when you've been teaching for a while, it might not work. If you look back three years ago, would you say that the changes you've seen the last year are more significant than the changes you saw back then? I, we're in a period of change, I think is what I'm trying to say. Leading question, right? It feels different. It's more different than it was before. It was different, but it's now more different. Ah, oh, the wonders of the English language. I'm just watching that going to Spaniards. Yeah. Ah, slowing down. Okay, right. I can't slow down. The clock is ticking. <laughs> right. Entering and taking the land is not easy. We can say that particularly. Circumcision is not easy. The manner of stop, that's not easy. But interestingly, some of the things that we've been picking up all entered the land. Okay, there's no second class option. Here's the point, you guys. Uh, other than the visitors who may just want to run away tomorrow, that's fine. But you lot who are here, you're all entering the land. You can't think, well, that's good for Nathan. Oh, that's good for Andrew. No, no, that's all of us. There is no choice. We are all going there, right? There are some people not with us that were with us three months ago, okay? But us here, we're going to the land, okay? Joshua 3, all the Israelites into the land, Joshua 4, the whole nation, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan. It's interesting, the emphasis of all of us. Okay, no second-class nature there. Okay, right, now we come to Jericho. Recap on Jericho. They were told to march around uh, Jericho. They had to shout at various points, and there was a couple of instructions that when the walls came down, they had to do some things. They had to kill every living thing except Rahab and her household. Okay? Right? So everything gets killed. Okay? And they're instructed to set aside for God the devoted things, which is anything gold, silver, bronze, or iron. Okay? Um, Mark uh, sent, I think it was the worship team, sent a, um, a podcast around, a latest podcast from Bethel Church on worship by Bill Johnson. Worth um, uh, passing that around. We'll get that link out. Um, and there was a, I almost decided not to speak, and I thought I'd just play that to you. But it's 45 minutes long, so it's outside the timing. That would have been the easy answer. But there's a, some excellent things he says in that. But one of the things that stuck out to me was this. He said, we are all worshippers. Not all here. All. All human beings are worshippers. The only question is what you're going to worship. And I think that's interesting. And that's the thing that started to kind of stirring me. We all worship and we're probably a bit checkered in terms of what we worship. Sometimes we worship God, and sometimes we worship something else. Some of us worship our family, some of us worship our work, some of us worship our, I don't know, train models. Some of us worship our cars, not me. I don't worship my car, not with its exhaust falling off. Right. Okay. Some of us worship our bodies. I didn't even have to say it, did I? You had to say it, but... Okay. 
Some of us worship our, I don't know, we all worship different things. And I think that's what we see here. So um, we read that, that, that uh, Jericho is taken. Actually, if you read the first, that first section, it looks like everything's done, everything's done obediently. And then there's a kind of like a recap. And so, whoa, but they didn't do everything right. And we see Achan take some stuff for himself. Let's have a look at what he says. That's Joshua 7, verse 21. Now, there's a whole way that God finds things out, okay? And uh, it's pretty scary, and it's relentless how it happens. It's worth looking at. But anyway, this is, they get to Achan, and he said, Whoa! Achan replied, It's true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. Okay? The bit I've underlined. You know what? Here's the thing. If I ever forget doing this sermon, I will look back and I've got every single thing on circumcision underlined and all the bad stuff. So it's not a red letter day in that sense. Right, I saw in the plunder, right, I saw. I think one of the things we have to address and look at is the, is the lust of the eyes, the things we see and we want. In fact, let me just digress a little bit to Matthew Henry's commentary. Okay, now he wrote, you know, a little while ago, so his phrasing is, is more eloquent. Uh, Achan sin began in the eye. He saw these fine things as Eve saw the forbidden fruit... So what comes of suffering the heart to walk after the eyes? And what need we have to make this covenant with our eyes? That if we wonder, they shall be sure, we should be sure to weep for it. So suffering, allowing the eyes to walk in front of the heart. So the, the eyes dictated, I want, I want that. Who, who here has got a Costco card? Okay, I, I don't do Costco. You know why? Because I would see the multiple... I think I remember going to the pages and seeing about 15 million tubes of toothpaste. Right? Because I see that large thing and I want all of them. I want, I want them all. I want the bigness. I want it. I want all that toothpaste. I want it now. Right. <laughs> um, there's something about the lots. Does anyone else feel like that? Just me. And the pages, obviously, with the toothpaste. Right. Because you just see that and you want it. You only need one tube of toothpaste, right? You only need... Your head can only look at one TV at a time, right? But we want these things, okay? I'm not condemning the pages and the toothpaste. But if anybody's short... Uh, I, I believe the other thing about being a Costco shopper is there's nothing in date in your house. Because everything you've bought... Years ahead of time. Okay. Pepsi cans are still red. Um, right. But that, that desire of the eyes to see things and want it. Okay? And, and my kids are different. Some, some of my kids, they walk in, they've got some money, they want to spend it immediately. And others want to not spend it. And that there's a miserly thing is a problem as well. It's still a kind of greed, isn't it? So I think that's interesting in that sense. So we see something we want it, and I think that's a key thing to see what Achan, he saw something. But there was this thing about the devotion as well. Where was his worship going? You know, it's going to go somewhere. Where's it going in that sense? Right. It's interesting 
that we have been singing that song, I Surrender. We tried it a bit before Clear Sound, and it kind of... Mark and I sometimes say, mm, that song didn't go anywhere. But it seems to be the song now. It's interesting how God takes those songs, yeah? And does something. So what, so what was it? What was it about I Surrender? Um, I think there's a connection for us as we enter the promised land, into the broad place. Um, there's a march round Jericho. That's a kind of surrendering. That wouldn't have seemed to make sense. But there's obedience about marching around. So obedience is key. And surrender to his ways is about not following our natural inclination. Taking, taking the land is not about the easy life. What's interesting, I'm not going to jump back now, but there's a, there's a bunch of tribes, there's two and a half tribes, technically, that were, uh, that were to take occupation of the other side of the Jordan. So te- they didn't have to cross the Jordan, but it's interesting because they did, or their, their fighting men did anyway. And what's more, not only did they cross the Jordan, but they were to go on ahead so they're the ones that could be sitting back in their easy chairs saying, yeah, listen, we've got this side of the Jordan, it's all sorted, you guys go ahead, knock yourself out. Okay, but it's interesting, all crossed and all went together. There was no easy life, even for those who'd achieved their objectives in that sense. Um, and they went out in front. There's no room for slack approaches. You've got to cultivate the land. You can't just wait for some holy manner to arrive. You've got to cultivate the land, you've got to not be slack. There's a need to testify. There's a need to cut off from the old life. There's a need for maturing. So what, what could an easy life mean for us? Or what can things mean? Easy life is one of the things, that, that desire not to, not to have conflict, not to have trouble, not to make things difficult. Let me just kind of go through. Let me just kind of not have, you know, let me just sit back. I think there's actually something for us guys. I think we're sometimes more prone to that than the ladies amongst us, yeah? I think sometimes, actually, it's to do with that interaction. I think sometimes, uh, sometimes husbands can be too accommodating and uh, work around wives and accommodate and don't challenge stuff. In fact, I think it works both ways. I think if there's something going on with your partner or people you're close with and you're just accommodating and letting it get on and not challenging, then I think you've chosen the easy life. I think you've tried to, you know, stay the other side of the Jordan. I think it's a time to mature and to go up higher in that sense, and I think that's key. Sometimes I think it's easy um, to turn a blind eye. I sat down with, uh, with Josiah this week, and I, I thought, right, coming up to secondary school, I need to do that sex talk. Done it before. He obviously didn't remember because the look of shock on his face. <laughs> it wasn't the basic stuff. I was going more broader. <laughs> Nathan's not asked for the details. When I was at, se- when I was at secondary school, uh, can you imagine, um, imagine that John Singleton is your dad, right? Put yourself in my position. Imagine sitting down with John Singleton, and he's your dad, and he does a sex talk with you. Awkward. But you know what? I'm always thankful for the, the details, which I won't go into, which we went through, because... There were other kids, even in amongst us, that parents didn't do a talk, didn't talk about various different issues and problems, and they got themselves into all kinds of problems, right? One, one bit of awkwardness saved me for a whole bunch of trial and tribulation in that sense. And I think one of the things we sometimes do, it's really easy 
maybe if you're not as suspicious as me, to think, oh, the kids are quiet. They're off, you know, on the computers or doing stuff. It's all right, they're quiet. Quiet is good. In my life, quiet is bad. When my kids are quiet, it's, I believe, the lull before the storm. Certainly yesterday played out that way. So, and actually, just leaving, oh, it's, the, it's, the, it's the schools that educate them. It's the schools that can do these kind of things, or, or whatever. Let them have friends. That, we've got a great, uh, great youth team here. Uh, do a great job. We've got a great kids team as well. Um, it, again and again, it comes up how good it is to have that backup. But actually, primary as parents. And, and let's try not to stick in husbands and wives and parents and children. Try and, let's try and broad it, broaden that in your minds. It's the, it's the spheres that we live in and those kind of things, how we're supposed to connect and, and do those things with people. It's easy to leave things to someone else. It's easy not to engage with ourselves. Let me tell you, let me take another thing about surrender, which I think is important. So there's the, it's not an easy life thing. But here's the other thing. I was watching that film, and uh, I've become a bit mushy. I can't help it, you know. Has anyone seen The Notebook? I wept through that. (laughs) Dear. Show me a mushy film. In fact, to be honest with you, show me West Wing now. I'll weep through that as well. There's a whole different thing. Those guys, I'm with them. Right. Ah, West Wing. Good. Hmm. It just causes me to weep. It's just the music. <laughs> right. Anyway, I was watching that film, and I was impressed by, uh, by Leanne, the woman, the woman in that, that straight talking. She wasn't nice, but she was straight, and she was compassionate. There was no way around it. She was compassionate. She addressed her friends who, who said, oh, is this your charity? Is this your charity now? But no, she got involved. And, and it's interesting, the interview I saw with her, it's great to give a check, but actually... Uh, you need to act, and we need to include people. And as I, as I looked at that, I thought, you know what, I'd really like to have some relationships, some, some peer-level relationships where we could, you know, bon homie, you know, that kind of, you know, kind of interaction. And, and I thought, but actually, am I prepared to have someone like that come into my life? Am I prepared to do to that? Am I prepared to give out? Am I prepared to surrender my desire for what I want to make you know, my life pleasurable and, and have all those things and be intellectually stimulated and to, you know, to have good witticisms and all these kind of things? Am I prepared to let that go and say, okay, God, that's my sacrifice and I'm surrendering to make myself available like that family did? You know, interesting outworking of that story. They're a Christian family. They... Uh, adopted someone who's coming up for 18, so it's not like a long-term adoption in that sense. Uh, Sandra Bullock's adopted a child on the basis of that film. She was so affected by that thing, she's adopted a child as well. So the effect is interesting. So I think those are the things I was looking at in terms of surrender. Um, The easy life, uh, the kind of, uh, let me just float on by, and the whole thing. For me, I want to share that thing about me, about saying, okay, relationships, what relationships am I prepared to put myself out for? So, um, I think that as we go through this period of time, that God will bring things up. We've already recognized it's a time of change. We recognize the manna has stopped in that way. We're not in the wilderness. We're in a different time. It's a time for maturing. And I think part of that maturing is about surrendering and moving on up in that sense. Right.